Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, we live in a time, and the phrase has been used so often, we live in a time of unprecedented change. And, And that's a fair assessment, I would say. Change seems to be happening in society and in culture at such a rapid rate, it's really hard to keep up. It's really hard to keep up with what's happening. You look at the news, and one day this is happening across in one corner of the globe, and the next day this is happening with our own country, all sorts of changes taking place. Uh, you look in the world of, of church world, and some of the people that I talk to in circles I move in, we're finding there's vast changes, sweeping changes happening in, in the realm of church. We're finding that very large percentages of people aren't returning to church after the pandemic is starting to sort of wind down, and lots of people have not returned. And statistics show they won't return. And a lot of churches have fared pretty well, a lot of churches not so well. And I've had some discussions over the last few weeks with some friends of mine, and, and they've been trying to figure out how do we re-engage people. And I had one guy who said, well, we're trying to do all this really cool, exciting stuff and trying to draw more people back. And I said, well, don't you think maybe the problem is that you've lost a lot of the consumers? The pandemic has, has pruned out a lot of consumers, and now it seems like you're trying to figure out a way to get the consumers to come back. I said, that's sort of like we, you know, God has weeded a garden and you show up and you till the soil and plant more weeds. <laughs> Why would you do that, right? And so we want to understand that we live in a time of great change. We live in a, time, a, a, a period of time where everything seems to be shifting. And so many times we look at the idea of change and we apply our dislike of change to change that God brings about. And God may be bringing about some sort of change in our lives. God may be bringing about some transformation in our lives. And sometimes we get really nervous about that. We get very fearful about that when God starts to do a work in us or in our church. And we just, we get very concerned. And we will say things like this. Well, I I just don't like change. I just hate change. Can we be really honest here? The reason that we resist transformation, it's not because we hate change. It's because we love control. We love control. We want to be in control. We want to stay in control. And when God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to operate a moment of transformation, we get really nervous because we're not in control of it. But can I give you a a truth here? We're really not in control of anything. God is the one who is in control. And so when God is the one who is in control and we understand that, then when everything changes, we don't have to worry because God's still in control. And everything else may change, but God does not change. God is the same. He's the same always. And so here's the idea that I want us to talk about this morning. If God is the God who does not change, and he does not, And we are brought into a relationship with God, and God desires to transform us into the likeness of Jesus, his son. Then the only thing that we really should be anticipating in our lives 
is a whole lot of change. Because God is going to continually work in us to make us like his son. God does not change. As followers of Christ, our only biblical option of obedience is to experience continual change as we grow into the likeness of Jesus. That's why there's that old saying that sometimes you hear. If there's no change, there's no Jesus. Because Jesus will transform your life. And so this morning I want us to look in the book of Romans chapter 8. And I want us to look at a few things that the Bible tells us very clearly from this passage. A few things that change. That change dramatically in us by the power of the Holy Spirit whenever we are followers of Christ. Now I mentioned the Holy Spirit in this whole series we're talking about the Holy Spirit Last week, we touched on three basic principles that if we cling to those basic biblical principles, it will keep us, as I said, out of a theological ditch because we don't want to be into theological error. We don't want to fall into theological error. We don't want to lead other people into theological error. And I said there were three basic things, if you remembered about the Holy Spirit, that that would be a very good start. It's not an exhaustive list, but it would be a good start. The first one is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God himself. And as God, that means the Holy Spirit never contradicts the word of God. The Holy Spirit will not contradict himself. Meaning if one person says the Holy Spirit is leading them in one direction and the other person says, no, no, the Holy Spirit is saying this, then either one of those individuals is wrong or both of them are wrong because the Holy Spirit does not contradict himself nor does the holy spirit contradict the word of god we talked about the presence of the holy spirit that at salvation the holy spirit comes and indwells each believer the holy spirit comes and lives within us god himself third person of the trinity living within us that indwelling happens one time but according to the bible there are multiple times we can be filled with the holy spirit that is that we don't receive the holy spirit fresh We don't receive the Holy Spirit as though we have not had him before. If we are a follower of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. But we can relinquish that control to the Holy Spirit and live in obedience to God's word. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what he desires us to do. So there's one indwelling. There are multiple fillings. And then we talked about, finally, the primary role of the Holy Spirit. The primary role of the Holy Spirit all throughout Scripture is to exalt Jesus Christ. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to lift up, to magnify, to exalt Jesus. That is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. So with those things in mind, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within a believer, a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit changes some things. Some things are radically changed within us. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 11, and we'll read through verse 13, and then I'll uh, make a few comments, and we'll, we'll go on into the passage. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
And so by the Spirit of God, we can experience the transformation from spiritual death to eternal life. We go from death to life by the power of the Spirit. Look at what Paul writes in verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, from the dead after being dead for three days, the Holy Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, and that same Holy Spirit resides in every follower of Christ today. And since that is the case, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we go from being spiritually dead to eternally alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a very big deal. Spiritually dead. Dead in our sins and our trespasses. We are dead. There's no life in us. Now, some have said, oh, well, that means, uh, that means there's, we can't do anything good. Well, no, that's not true. Uh, being spiritually dead, we can still do good things. The idea is we just can't do anything that's redemptive. We can't do anything to make ourselves undead. We can't do anything to create life in ourselves. There's nothing that we can do that is redemptive. There's nothing that we can do to change that reality. But God can. And God does. Listen to Ephesians 2.4. But God, I'm sorry, let me back up one. Well, no, let's go with this and I'll back up to John 3. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's a work of God. It's a gift of God. This eternal life that we have been given. Well, how do we receive that eternal life? Well, back in John chapter 3, John has a discussion with a leader of the Jews, Nicodemus, and, and, or Jesus has a discussion back in John. And Jesus tells him in John 3, 3, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Literally, born from above. Born from above. You're born physically here on earth, but you have to be born from above. God himself must give you that new life. So we go from spiritual death to spiritual life. A professor of mine once talked about how uh, he had a professor that would often take students out into a graveyard. And he would tell them, preach. And they said, what do you mean? He said, preach. Preach to the graves and call people out of the grave. And they would say, well, I, I, that seems really odd. And he would say, no, I want you to do this. He would tell, tell his preaching students, preach to these graves. Command these bodies to live. And he said they would scuff their shoes in the dirt and half-heartedly, well, come out. <laughs> come, out of, come out of the grave. And he would say, no, like you mean it. And so they would stand out there and they would call out to these graves, come forth, come forth, come alive. And of course, nothing would happen. And he would always use that as an illustration and tell his students, this is exactly what happens when you preach. If you're calling forth by your own power, this is exactly what will happen. 
It has to be the power of God himself that raises the dead. It's not you. It's him. God is the one who raises the dead. God is the one who gives us eternal life from spiritual death. And that means if we are a a person who has experienced that new life, that eternal life, that means, get this, we are not what we once were. We are not the people we once were. If, you're, if you have eternal life in Christ, who you were before, that person is no more. You have been given a new life. You have gone from death to life. This is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're not a new, you're not an, a new improved you. It's not a matter of, of you being refurbished or you being retrofitted. It's not a matter of you were a pretty good person as you were and God said, I just need to tweak you a little bit and you'll be suited and fitted for the kingdom. No, it's who you were is no more. And now you are a brand new creation not an improvement upon the old no you are something you were not before that's a great place to say amen that we are something someone we were not before because of this new life and if we are a new person in christ then that means everything changes everything changes. Look back at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. By the Spirit, that means we can now say, no, I'm going to live as this new creation. I'm not going to live as who I once was. I'm going to live as who I am now. And that is a new creation in Christ, which means that changes everything. Being a new creation, being alive in Christ, it changes the way that you think. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The old me is gone, is dead. And so now I set my mind on the things that are above. I think about the things that are above. I don't set my focus. I don't set my mind on the things that are temporal, the things that are passing, the things that are earthly. I set my mind on the things that are eternal. And that can be a struggle. But I do that because of what Paul writes here in verse 3 of Colossians 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. My life, your life, if you're a follower of Christ, is hidden it is veiled, it is, it is wrapped around by the life of Christ. I am in Christ, and Christ is in his Father. Now, there's a mystery involved with that, which means 
I may not be understood completely to those that are walking outside of the will of God. You will not be understood by your friends, by your coworkers, by the world, by the culture. If that world and that culture and your friends and your coworkers aren't in line with the Spirit of God, you're going to be a mystery because your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means whenever someone is trying to look at you and figure out why do you think the way that you think and why do you live the way that you live, unless they understand you through the person of Christ, your life should make no sense. The problem is I think so many of us are trying to make, trying to make our lives, uh, trying to live out our lives and trying to make them lives that make sense to the culture and world around us without recognizing that we are hidden in Christ. The culture around us is going to be pushing back against the ways of Christ. That's when we have to set our minds on the things that are above. Listen to Romans 8. This is earlier in the chapter that we're looking at this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. When you set your mind on the Spirit of God, the things of the Spirit, that is indicative of the eternal life that you've been given, and also it leads you to peace. It leads you to being able to live with peace in the midst of tumultuous circumstances, to live in the peace in the midst of a world that's in turmoil. You can live with that peace by setting your mind on the things that are above. Because you recognize you're a new creation, you have eternal life, it has been given to you by God, and he has brought you from spiritual death to spiritual life. If this God who brings you from spiritual death to eternal life has done just that in your life, do you really think he's going to leave you alone? No, he's not. God is more committed to complete his work in us than we are. God is going to finish what he begins. And so we find that it impacts the way that we think. It impacts everything that we do and the way that we live. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from life to death and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Because we have been brought from death to life, we present ourselves, we give ourselves to God in order for us to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God. So everything changes and it starts with being brought from spiritual death to eternal life. But there's also another change. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We'll look at the second part of that verse in just a moment. But by the spirit of God, we can experience transformation from sin's bondage to Christ's freedom. From sin's bondage to Christ's freedom. Notice what Paul writes. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The spirit of slavery, slavery to sin, that we are held captive by sin, and that can only lead to fear. Setting our mind on the things of the spirit, it leads to life and it leads to peace. But setting our mind on the things of the flesh, setting our mind on things of sin, it leads to death. It also leads to fear. 
We have a fear whenever we're living outside of the will of God, whenever we are living in a place where we're living by our flesh, we're not living by the Spirit. We live in fear. We live in fear of tomorrow. We live in fear of of the future. We live in fear of what does the end of life hold. We live in fear of all these things. The world is fearful of these things. You, You look and you see how many things where people are, or how many ways that people are trying to extend their lives. And I'm not saying we should try to shorten our lives. It's a, it's a good thing to remain healthy and try to live as long as you can. Absolutely. But we find the world gets so obsessed with this. The world is so obsessed with avoiding death, cheating death. How can I get around this? How can I, how can I avoid it at all costs? How can I live forever without God? And we find that that leads to fear because it's a spirit of bondage. It's a spirit of slavery. And can I just tell you, everybody is a slave to someone. We are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to Christ. Those are the only two options. There is no third way. There is no, well, I'm free from either one of them. No, we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to Christ. Listen to Romans 6 verse 16. Do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Paul writes and says, you're going to be a slave to someone. As the great philosopher Bob Dylan said, you got to serve someone. You got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but don't you know, you got to serve somebody. So we will all serve someone. We will either serve sin or we will serve God. Those are the only two options. And through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are set free from our spiritual bondage. We're set free from sin's slavery. And we no longer have to obey sin's call. There's the old story of a a man who many years ago had to become a servant aboard a ship in order to pay off a great debt that he owed. And he served under a very cruel sea captain. And that captain would beat the crew and would belittle the crew. And the crew just hated this captain with everything in themselves. And for years, this man served aboard this ship. And finally, the day came where he had worked off all of his debt and he was free to go. And the story goes that he got off that ship and he started living his life of freedom and he he had a family and he was living in this little seaport. And they say that as he walked along one day along the wharf, that old sea captain had brought 
the ship there to port. And the sea captain was standing at the edge and he was calling out to his crew that it was time to set sail. And this man who had been set free, the story goes that he's walking along that wharf and when he hears the voice of that old sea captain call out for everyone to come aboard, he turned on his heels and started back toward the ship. And it was only as he started nearing the ship that he realized, I don't have to get back on that ship. I've been set free. I don't have to sail under his command anymore. He's not my master anymore. The debt has been paid. And in the same way, sin keeps on calling out to us. The sin that we once served, the flesh that we once followed, calls out to us on a daily basis, an hourly basis, and says, come aboard. It's time to set sail. And by the power of the Spirit, we can recognize, I don't serve you anymore. You're not my master anymore. I've been set free from that spiritual bondage. I've been set free from the slavery of sin. And now I can live in the freedom that is found in Christ. I don't have to crawl back aboard that ship and sail under that captain. And neither do you. Because we have been set free from this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We were bought with a price. We were bought from the slave market of sin by the blood of Jesus himself. So now we belong to him. And so now we live our lives and we glorify him with our lives, with our bodies, with our minds, with everything that is in us. Because now we belong to him because he has set us free. Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 34, we find these words. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We have freedom in Christ. And some people have mistakenly taken freedom in our culture today, and they've said, freedom means I can do whatever I want. That's not what freedom means. Freedom is the ability to do those things that we should do. That's what true freedom is. Everybody doing whatever they want, that's not freedom. That's chaos. But the ability to be able to do the things that you should do, that's freedom. You see, we, we tend to fail to realize that sin is limiting People say, oh, I have so much freedom. I have so much freedom before, you know, I have all this freedom in sin. I can do whatever I want. That's not freedom. That's slavery. That's bondage. Real freedom comes through Christ. And we say, oh, but, but Jesus, it's, it's, everything is just so narrow. And you, and you can't do this. And you can't do that. And you can't do this. And you can't do this. And you have to do all these things. Look, following Jesus is not a list of do's and don'ts. We have spiritual freedom in Christ to be the people that God has created us to be. That's freedom. Sin actually keeps us from that. Sin robs us of that. Sin keeps us locked and in prison and all the while telling us that we're free. We're not. See, through Christ and by the power of the Spirit, now we are free to obey. We are free to live in obedience to Christ by the power of the Spirit. That's where true freedom resides, not in being able to do whatever I want. 
whatever the flesh desires, whatever the world says is okay, that's not freedom. That's bondage. And Christ sets us free from spiritual slavery and gives us spiritual freedom. But there's something even more amazing in all of this. And that's found starting in verse 14. Let's back up. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So there's a spiritual death to eternal life. There's sin's bondage to Christ's freedom. And also we experience this transformation of separation from God to adoption into his family. We are adopted into God's family as his own children. We are adopted into God's family as his own children. Meaning just as Christ is the Son of God, we are adopted into that family. And Jesus, through Jesus, as that adoption takes place, we are brought into the actual family of God as members of God's family. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a member of God's family. That's not theoretical. That's reality. You are a member of God's family. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God's the one who did the adoption. It wasn't that we decided it was a good idea and we could do it on our own. No, God is the one who did that. He's the one who initiated it, and he's the one who accomplished it. And how did he do that? Through his son and by his spirit, Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a word, and we, he mentions it again in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. That word is a term of endearment. It's like a little child saying, Dada. That's what it's like. Daddy, Dada. It's a very personal, very intimate term of endearment. And we have received the Spirit of God by which we can say, Father God, He is my spiritual daddy. He is the one that I can depend upon, that I can cling to, that I can run to, and I am a member of His family. That's no need, that's no place for pride there, no place for arrogant pride there. But there's a place where we look at it and we say, yes, I'm a member of the family of God out of his great love for us. First John 3, 1, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Again, the children of God should bear the earmarks of their father. And if the world did not know God himself and the world does not understand and recognize and respect and acknowledge God as being God, what more do you think they're going to do to the children of God? 
That's why we find back in Romans chapter 8, in verse 17, that we are heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Being a child of God means that the world's not going to understand us. And there may be pain, there may be suffering that's involved. But we recognize that we are a part of an eternal family that goes on and on and on. And we get to be a part of that. And that God himself, whenever he looks at followers of Christ, he loves us just as much as he loves his own son. That's what, that's what John 17 is all about. Jesus prays this in his prayer. That they may know that I have loved them or that you have loved them just as you have loved me. This is the reality that we live in. I heard about a man that had uh, two sons. And these two sons, as uh, they were growing up, they did what kids do. They, they start rummaging through drawers and closets and boxes and all sorts of other stuff. And they found some adoption papers. And because both sons were very, very near the same age, they were looking at these adoption papers and they couldn't quite figure out which one of them was adopted. And so they, these two little kids went to the father and they said, Daddy, we found these papers. And that means one of us was adopted. And he said, yeah. And one of the children said, well, which one of us is it? And he looked at them and said, I don't remember. Because you're both my sons. I love you both just as much as I love the other. I love one of you just as much as I love the other. I don't remember which one of you is adopted. Now, of course he did. But he's telling them, I don't remember. And it doesn't matter because you're both my kids. And when God the Father looks at us, God can say, I love you just as much as I love Jesus because I love you through my son. It's through my son that I love you. It's by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that you have been adopted into the family of God and you're mine now. I am your father. You are my son. And that's what we find. We are the sons and daughters of the king of the universe. We have been adopted into his family. When our own family may cast us out, we are a part of the family of God. When we feel like we are alone in the universe, no, no, no. We are a part of the family of God. We are sons and daughters of the king of the universe if we are followers of Christ. And God did that incredible transformation. We were separated from him. We were alienated from him. We had no hope in the world. And God said, I'm going to bring them into my family through my son. And they are adopted into my family. And being adopted in the family of God means that we have all the rights and privileges of one who was born naturally into the family. Which is why the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. We get an inheritance. What inheritance is it? Jesus. His inheritance. We get that same inheritance. That's what we get. We're co-heirs with Christ. That's what we have to look forward to. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have eternal life and all the rights and privileges of royalty. I know you say, well, that doesn't really help me on a day-to-day basis. I can't just go around the office and say, don't treat me that way. I'm royalty. Probably not. (laughs) Because people aren't going to understand that. 
But we, if you are a follower of Christ, we are a part of a royal family. The only royal family that's going to last forever. We are a part of a royal family. This is a transformation that takes place by the Spirit of God. And the question is this. Are you living, if you're a follower of Christ, are you living in that reality today? Are you living in the reality that you've been brought from death to life? Are you living in the reality that you're no longer a slave to sin, but you have been set free from sin? You don't have to obey that sea captain anymore. Are you living in the reality that you're no longer separated from God? You are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe, your creator, your redeemer, the Lord God himself. Are you living in that reality? Because everything changes. Are you living like everything has changed? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. By the Spirit of God, we are being transformed little by little, from one degree of glory to another, from one step of obedience to another, from, from one revelation of God's reality for our lives to another, from one exposure to the glory of God himself to another, we are being transformed and we are being made more and more like Christ. And this comes by the Spirit. It's by God's Spirit that he does this. As we are we are challenged and we are confronted by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God transforms us into the likeness of Christ. Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth, says Jesus. And by the Word of God, the question is, are you living like everything has changed? Are you living your life like everything has changed? If you don't know Christ, can I just tell you, nothing will change except for the worst. It won't. You, you, you can't know eternal life by any other means except Jesus. You can't be free from spiritual bondage by any other means except for Jesus. You'll never break the separation between you and God except through Jesus. But through Christ, we can have eternal life. Through Christ, we can be set free from sin. Through Christ, we can be adopted into God's family as his very son or daughter. That's what God offers us through Jesus. Because Jesus came, lived a sinless life as the Son of God, lived a sinless life, died in a place, on a cross, in our place for our sins. So that if we receive him by faith and we say, yes, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you're God, you're God himself. I believe that you died for me. I, I trust this reality that you say that you died in my place and that that was sufficient. And I surrender my life to you. I turn from my sin. I turn toward you. And I give you my life. And I want to live for you. I trust you. I love you. I forsake my sin. Then God will save you. But you'll never experience eternal life, freedom from sin, and adoption into the family of God by any other means except for Jesus. He is the only way. And if for those of us who are followers of Christ, if we're looking for anything else, to breathe life into us other than Jesus, it's not going to work. 
If we're looking for anything to set us free from sin other than Jesus, it's not going to work. If we're looking for some reality that we can cling to to give us hope for the future other than the fact that we have been adopted into God's family and we are going to be with him eternally, it's not going to work. Because all those other things are passing. These things are eternal. Because through the Spirit of God, everything changes. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the reality that by your Spirit you change everything. Thank you, Lord God, that, that you transform us into the likeness of Jesus himself. Thank you, Lord, that it's not left to us. We're not smart enough to figure it out. We're not strong enough to work it out. We don't have the, the foreknowledge to, to figure it out ahead of time. We don't have any of those, those abilities. We don't have that capacity. Only you do. So we thank you, God. We thank you for new life in Christ. That we're new creations. We're, we're thankful that we're set free from sin and we don't we don't have to obey sin's call any longer. Father, we're thankful that you've adopted us into your family as sons and daughters. That we are your children. And that we are to, we are to go out and live out that reality of who we are in a world that needs to know you. And that we go out as not just your children, but as royal subjects as ambassadors for you. We go out to represent you to a world that is in desperate need. Father, I pray for anybody here or listening, watching this morning that may have never made a decision to follow you. And right now, they've never experienced that new life. They've never experienced that eternal life, that being called out of the grave. They've never experienced that freedom from their sin. They've never experienced what it is to be brought into your family. I pray today would be the day that they would say yes to you. They would say yes to Jesus and surrender their lives to him. And Father, I pray if there's any of us here that may be living lives as though nothing has changed. We may be living lives where we, we're still living as though we're spiritually dead. We're still living as though we're in prison and enslaved. We're still living as though we're separated from you. Father, I pray that by your word, by your spirit, you might settle in on every heart and every mind the reality that if we are in Christ, we are alive and we are free and we are your children. And I pray that we would go out and live in the reality of those truths in the days to come. And when Satan and the world and our flesh tries to tell us otherwise, that we would be reminded by your spirit through your word exactly who we are. And we would be reminded that everything in Christ has changed. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you all the glory. And we pray for this time as we respond to your truth. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.